Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. I'm your host, Jay Friedman, and we are reconvening tonight in the Pain Cave for an emergency podcast following the crazy, crazy results that went down last weekend over in Chamonix. Joining me as always when we dive deep into the minutiae of the ultra-running world at large is my partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express, the Jim Walmsley to my Jim James, the legend himself, Phil Vondra. Phil, welcome to the Pain Cave. All righty, it's good to be back, and I am still shaking with excitement just thinking about what happened out there in the Alps. It was a crazy, crazy weekend, all weekend long, starting from really uh, Wednesday afternoon, evening, with TDS, uh, yep. the really the closest podium finish in certainly in UTMB history and, and possibly in the history of high-level ultra running across the top three finishers. And, and it only got crazier from there as the weekend went on. So we were not planning on doing a recap. You can go back and listen to our preview podcast. And we were going to leave it at that and just kind of see how everything played out. But the way that everything went down, we had to get back together and, and do a quick recap and just kind of vomit all our thoughts out yeah. onto the interwebs because I mean, this really was crazy tds was exciting and i was like wow that was amazing and then that that turned out just to be really the appetizer you exactly know? exactly before we get started as always phil what are we drinking tonight i am nursing a grapefruit la croix uh i thought <laughs> i'd have a french beer tonight but it actually turns out it's uh, grapefruit seltzer water so um, i'm racing on Sunday, yeah, i was gonna say triathlon I, when, when phil is not drinking a beer that means he's he's in race mode so we're just a few days away from the famous survival of the schwangung triathlon yeah. so this is yeah, a la croix and it's actually uh, a pamplemousse which is a uh, french for grapefruit see sounds so we don't learn anything on this show uh, <laughs> the fans hate it when we try and teach them stuff yeah, we're going all high end with this uh, speaking French. We'll be fluent by all right. the next UTMB. As what are you I'm drinking, by the way, As I am boy? still in recovery mode, I am going to crack open a beer, even though it is a weeknight. I have a Zero Gravity Grand Royal, um, all right. which I have never had before. And I'm looking, it's a it's a, a double IPA. Oh, God, 8.5%. I'm going to be asleep pretty soon. Uh, Zero Gravity, Burlington, Vermont. So, all right. All right, here we go. Enjoy. woo Cheers. Cheers. Happy birthday again. Oh, thank you very much. Don't look bad for 60. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my hips feel more like 65, but otherwise, doing all right. You're in good shape. Good. So, we spent some time in the last pod because we recorded, basically, as TDS was just finishing up, we already have talked uh, at length about those results. You can go back and listen to it uh, again. It seemed like that was about as crazy as it was going to get, and then uh, things just exploded. So I don't want to belabor that, but we'll come back um, maybe at the end real quickly to what the results from TDS might mean going forward in light of everything else that happened the rest of the weekend. But let's talk about the two big races from Friday slash Saturday, which, of course, are CCC and the main event, UTMB. Should we do CCC first? No, yeah. let, you know what? Let's do UTMB Straight first. Straight into UTMB, I like it. All because right, it. because that's really what we want to talk about, and that's yeah. that's where just so much crazy stuff happened. We can touch briefly on CCC at the very end, but uh, I really did want to get into UTMB. We set it up, as I think most people were conceptualizing this, as really a two-man battle on the men's side. Yeah, Jim but, versus Killian, right? That exactly. That's what everyone was thinking. Killian joined the three-time UTMB champ, and... Yeah. 
you know, likely the greatest alpine ultra runner in the world versus Jim Wamsley, the newly minted Western States champion and course record holder and the course record holder on basically every 100K and shorter trail yep. race in the U.S. of any import. And it looked like it was going to play out that way pretty early yeah. on. I mean, Jim took off like a man possessed, right? And Killian wasn't that far behind him. Um, he, You know, it looks like everyone goes off pretty hard. In fact, when people were going off that hard, there was a little bit of carnage there, I think. A couple of, couple of runners got run over, elites. Well, I mean, you've got a 2,000 kind of people uh, in the starting field packed yeah. packed into some pretty small roads yeah. at the start, you know, and with crowds on either side. So there really is not a lot of room for error. And yeah. uh, there, it, it sounds like a couple of people went down early. I'm surprised that Alex sort of thing Nichols doesn't happen too often. In but the mosh pit. Alex Nichols, who I, I had really liked for UTMB in the, you know, as, as a possible podium finisher was yeah. out within the first five minutes yeah uh, or at least down Crazy. and injured within the first five yeah. minutes it sounds like he struggled through uh, i'm not sure exactly how much but maybe 20 miles or so before he realized it just wasn't going to happen yeah. hurt his hip i think when he landed or something right and just didn't didn't get back into it that's a shame Real and shame. and that really seemed to kind of set the course or set the tone for the rest yeah. of the night na- the yeah. the night and the day Yep. where it was just kind of one thing after another. It wasn't even just, I mean, certainly there was just your regular blow-up type carnage stuff, Yeah, and but there was just a of lot of weirdness. <laughs> right. yeah. it, was, it was just one thing after another yeah. to, that, that took out many of the top contenders. I mean, um, Killian was taken out by a B. Yeah. I, when did that happen? Because I think it was the day before or actually earlier in the day maybe, and he's allergic to bee stings. Mm-hmm. And that that didn't go well for him. He took, I guess, some some medication, um, and I think that made him feel a little bit sick. So he never he never really got going. Right. And yet, still was running at the front, obviously, with yeah. Jim in the early going. But yeah. Uh, yeah, never really asserted his control over the race. Never really put his stamp on it. And I, I don't know that he ever really led, or at least not for any extended period. Now, again, yeah. that could partly be because Jim and then later Zach uh, Miller both U.S. favorites and both uh, celebrated for their front-running style, you know, both, neither disappointed. They both ran off the front and, totally. uh, you know, kind of absolved Killian of the need to kind of do any of the pace setting. But yeah. it, it was interesting that he, right, he he did not seem to have his A game from the start no. necessarily. And, I mean, it, yeah, you I wonder if that was maybe I was interested that the, he went with Jim. Like, I didn't feel like he'd be lured into that kind of race. I just thought he'd be a little smarter and just say, right, you know, you go and do your thing. I'm gonna do my, especially he wasn't feeling great. I don't know. I felt like he, he tried to kind of hang with him, and Jim's like super fast off the, you know, right from the gun. Um, I, I felt maybe for him it would have made more sense just to kind of hang back a little bit. Right, right. I, I'm not very familiar with the uh, course itself, and I know there were some course changes this year, and uh, so I'm not sure whether or not their pace off the front initially was particularly fast or if it was just difficult for the conditions the conditions were it sounds like less than ideal cold yeah. rainy they weren't terrible though listening to some interviews from the from the runners after because i don't think they got quite as bad uh as was predicted yeah but it did change a lot of their gear choices and and yeah. i think they wound up carrying a lot more gear than yeah, they had, they had necessarily to get anticipated cold, cold weather gear uh, and that's not nothing. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how heavy their packs are going to be, but uh, several pounds is my guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. n- that's no picnic to have nope. to carry for 25 hours or whatever yeah. it is. Pretty heavy. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly 
obviously it was it was a, a an honest pace, a fast pace. I don't know if it was kind of a record setting type pace early on that that kind of cooked those guys, or if it was just a combination of the effort and the and the conditions that kind of took their toll. But things kind of started to go south before halfway for for Jim and Killian. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was watching the coverage, which by the way is is really really good. It's uh, fabulous. <laughs> You know, there was a few times the live feed was down, but like most of the time it was it was really good, really fun. Um, I think the point, and I, you know, I kind of texted these two, I think, through the night was when they got into Cormier mm-hmm. and uh, Killian and Zach were in there mm-hmm. and neither of them looked great. Right. They just looked a little like didn't really have their game face. They looked like they were getting tired. Something wasn't right. Things, you know, the wheels were already starting to come off the wagon. But Xavier, when he went in there, and I know I made a little joke that he changed his school uniform when he got in there. His mum was waiting for him. But uh, he looked good. He looked fresh. He looked attentive. He looked sharp. Um, you know, he was taking in the food. He was he was just getting ready to go. Now, with Zach, sometimes that can be misleading because right. he tends to run so close to the edge. Yeah. And he just has a... I, I, he I looks feel like, like he's he kind of hurting, basically. He's kind of hurting from the start. Yeah. I mean, that's the way he looks, at least. Yeah. And it, Agreed. It, you know, I don't want to ascribe superhuman powers to him or anything, but it seems yeah. oftentimes like he just has a different pain threshold than the rest of us, and he's yep. or or yeah, he's he just like he, more he willing just to run to at it for run. a really long time. Yeah, um, and you could hear, you could see it, and you could hear it in the live coverage, even yeah. when he was leading um, yeah. and still holding off Xavier. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he's panting, he's grunting, yeah. and this is you know, we're thirty miles out, forty miles out, and and yeah. you know, you look back to to some of the videos. From some of his epic wins in the past, including you know that famous video from North Face a couple of years ago, he runs yeah. that way all the time. So sometimes he, you know, he he can throw you off a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Killian did not look as kind of smooth and relaxed as you would yeah, know. You and know, super smiley, having fun. That, exactly. that kind of like that aura he has around him of just like being happy in the mountains wasn't really there. And, right. You know, that must be related to the the beasting that he got. You would think, because from a fitness standpoint, yeah, certainly he's fit. He, he, he's, he's fit. Unless he got lured into a race with Jim too early and I don't know. I mean it's it's hard to say. I, I think probably this this beasting probably yeah, even some of the video we saw from very early on, like within the first ten or twenty kilometers, just didn't like quite the, uh, look Monty right. Monty Python walk they were doing up the hill—that <laughs> yeah. is one of the funniest things I've seen. It was in really great. That is, that is hilarious. <laughs> that was—I mean, I thought Killian was kind of taking the piss out of Jim, just walking behind him, <laughs> just, like, "Yeah, I've just watched, you know, Monty Python. I'm going to do the walk up this hill." That was hilarious. It really was good with the poles, and the that poles was, were flailing oh, all over good. the place. That was so good. It was really funny. It was very good. So. Yeah, uh, Jim, uh, again, and and I haven't seen anything that says exactly what happened to Jim, if it was just the pace, if it was fueling, if it was something else. Again, there's really no sense that it was fitness or anything like that, you know, especially with some of the training that we alluded to earlier. Uh, Yeah, so really hard to say exactly what happened there. Killian was in it longer, obviously, after Zach... um, took over the lead killing was still chasing for quite some time and and you know even again despite him not looking great it did seem like he was going to put the hammer down at some point yeah, uh, but then really all knows. of a sudden he he just cracked and yeah. i i yep. remember texting you guys when when it happened it, it, i've never seen it happen before and it happened it was and and it was abrupt yeah. and i mean he was out minutes later like it, that was that was the end yeah, and you know, you think last year at UTMB he had a tough year, but he didn't. He didn't crack. I mean, he came in second. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
amazing. No, that's um, exactly right. I'm not. He's he's not invincible. He's, we've different. seen him lose yeah. on occasion. He's he's like you said. He's come second at this race before. He's come second at Lavaredo, and yep. Um, he doesn't he doesn't win all the time, but uh, but he never he never breaks like that. And no. that this was very abrupt. Yeah. I mean, it's just his, his medical condition, I guess, just really, you know, took a took a toll on him. Um, you know, from what I heard, the, the medications really upset his stomach and the uh, allergic reactions to the bee sting really messed him up. So it's a, it's a real shame. And then, you know, other folks kept kind of almost throwing their hat in the ring. Tim, yeah. Tim Tollefson, who uh, coming off two consecutive third place finishes, was up to third again for a while. And yeah. I kind of thought he was on his way to another podium finish, and all of a sudden he vanished. He wound up dropping out as well. Uh, Luis Alberto Hernandez was up in the top five, yep. vanished again. <laughs> Same kind of thing. Alex, yep. we already touched on him. Yep. Mark Hammond had made a charge, uh, I'm going to say probably around the 50 to 60 mile range, yep. was up uh, kind of sniffing the top 10, and all of a sudden he was... Uh, out the back and I, I don't did he finish or was he at one point he was down to about the 40th place or so he, I'm not he, sure that he didn't finish he didn't finish either and uh we haven't even gotten to the women yet it was just it, yeah. the the amount and of Ryan carnage, Sands didn't finish right as well. the amount of and and some of this was like we said just good old-fashioned blow-ups and some of yeah. this was people falling or or yeah. you know at yeah. twisting ankles or I think the, yeah, especially on the women's side it seemed like the women's were, were and uh, you know, mishaps there on the trail. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that too, because that that also did not go according to plan at all. Uh, uh, one of our pre-race favorites, my one of my pre-race favorites, who I thought would would uh, really contend for the win was Magdalena. Yeah, and uh, she led early and then also didn't finish. Um, yeah, I think she had a fall. I think. She had a fall. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Eliza Lapierre, who yep. was. Uh, you know, a multiple-time top 10 finisher at Western States and, and in very good shape, uh, twisted her ankle the day she arrived in Chamonix, she said, uh, tried to gut her way through, made it about 20 miles and pulled the plug there. Who else on the women's side? Other favorites? Uh, Claire Gallagher. Yeah, Claire Gallagher. Stephanie Violet. Claire never really seemed to even get it going. Claire was, no, uh, you know, in the back half of the top 10, but yeah. um, never in in really shouting distance of the lead, 10, 15 minutes here and there. Uh, before uh, also not finishing. Uh, Stephanie Violet, another one. Cat uh, Bradley ran a very solid race. Solid. Eighth. I think that's very good. And I mean, kind of was just there all day uh, yeah. in the back half of the top 10. And, and um, Seems like she raced really smart. And really a very nice comeback to see after she was unable to defend her title at Western States earlier this year. Yeah. And Casey, a nice finish from Casey yeah, uh, on the comeback trail. Yep. Yeah. Uh, was- I mean... Only a little bit behind Cat. I mean, right. 10 minutes behind her, I think. Now, you know, we get into this situation sometimes with some of these top guys uh, and gals where I think we grade on a curve a little bit. And, you know, for somebody like Casey, who's, you know, a former Western States champion and has all the talent in the world, you know, obviously this, the in, uh, recovering from an injury is a, a long process and she still doesn't seem back to her, you know, world-beating form that she displayed a couple of years ago. But... Tenth yeah. place is a solid result. I mean, obviously, again, we talked about this last week. This is this really is the premier trail hundred miler in the world at this point, and these fields are ridiculous. Anything in the top ten really is fantastic. Yep. But uh, you know, you, you, I at least am a fan. Am left a little bit. I don't want to say disappointed, but uh, you know, 
Casey is somebody who I would expect to contend for the podium, and, and hopefully she can get back to that point as well. Yeah, I, I just think like trying to compare states and UTMB now is, is kind of hard in terms of, you know, these are quite different races. You see a guy like Jim dropping the hammer 14 hours at states, and then these mountain races seem to take these kind of speedier guys. I don't know, like this, it's quite hard to, to do well at both of those styles of racing. Right. You know, I think you have to be quite a special athlete and you need to, um, you know, really divert your training to, between the styles. Right, right. To be, to be very successful at this, at this kind of thing. And the mountains, they can just really open you up, you know, and just, you know, you, that gun goes and you, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Right. Even if you trained really, really hard. Right. And there are certainly people who have had success at both races. I mean, yep. we're not, yeah. not to say that it can't be done. I mean, you, you look at somebody like Francois, who's been, yeah. you know, a, obviously second at Western States this year and a previous UTMB champ last year. Uh, Dylan Bowman, friend of the pod, who has been top five in both races, yeah. uh, I think, or definitely top five at States a couple times. And, and, yeah, uh, and se- seventh at UTMB. Was he fifth he, the year before? I think he was fifth, yeah. Yeah, so... And um, yeah, it's, uh, certainly not that it, not to suggest that it can't be done, but it it does seem to kind of self-select for a given. slightly right. It's, exactly, it's something that like I think you need to could kind of focus on one or the other per year. Yeah, you know, maybe. very hard to do, to do well at both. I maybe think, in the same year. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit, I guess, about how it all eventually played out. Uh, Xavier on the men's side. Yeah. You know, really just running a, just a brilliant race. He ran totally his own race. I mean, he was super, super solid. Like I said, when he went, it was in Cormier, he just looked so good. I mean, he just looked so kind of relaxed. So, like, he hadn't really done any work yet. Right. You know, what a nice situation to be in. The thing that I looked at, or the thing that kind of struck me after following the race, you know, through most of the night was really anyone who was sniffing the lead in the first 50 or 60 miles either wound up just shot out the back or out of the race altogether. Yeah. And really the people who ran these very conservative, I don't want to necessarily say overly conservative, but just smart races, ran with themselves, didn't get kind of caught up in the the racing at the front on both the men's side and the women's side. Yeah. Those were the ones who had the real success. Xavier, um, you know, a, cu- a couple of other, uh, you know, slightly less well-known guys on the men's side. Yeah. Um, you know, Damien Hall coming back and running up to the top five and yeah. – um, on the women's side, uh, uh, you know, again, all those early leaders, including Magda, uh, Carolyn Chavonet, Ch- Chavereau? Chavereau. Chavereau, thank you, who led for, God, I don't even know how how long, 50 miles, and, yeah, and was out to long. about a 15 or 20 minute lead at one point, yeah. also wound up as a DNF, and, and really, and, and uh, again, the people who, who tried to race at the front really had very little to show for it at the end, and it was really the people who ran you know, again, very within themselves and, and really stayed away from the sharp end of the field in the early stages who, who wound up reaping yeah, the, the I mean, rewards the front later. runners, the favorites, they, they tore themselves apart, you know, through various things, injuries and just, you know, going out too hard. Um, yeah, absolute carnage. It was definitely a year for the smart, smart racer. Race your own race. Don't get caught up in uh, any battling at the front and then save yourself, you know, second half and start to move up some places. Great to see a little bit of redemption for Xavier after the controversy at, at yeah. Hard Rock, which we talked about last time. And yeah. I think we, we had kind of said, you know, he, he's going to be running. He's going to be motivated yeah, for gonna, sure if he, as long as he's recovered. And he definitely showed us that at yeah, the finish. Yeah, he showed he'd recovered. I mean, yeah. 
That finish was kind of interesting. Just a little sip of water. A little sip of water. Just, yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit of a uh, twist in the knife. At, at, uh, a little, little thank you very much to the yeah. Hard Rock directors. I um, think he's, uh, I mean, I saw an interview with him and it was a little dig, but, you know, he definitely said he's moved on. You know, that's it. I mean, it's easy to move on when you've just won just your DMV. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we see him back there, you know, next year. I mean, that would be nice. I think if he went back next year and ran it and then this whole thing would just go away and it would just be, you know, the whole, you know, peace and love in the ultra running community <laughs> will be here again. It'll be great. And this this little uh, incident will be uh, in, in its past. Can we take any lessons away from what happened here? Just, I don't think any of us were, certainly none of us were expecting this. And I don't think any of us could have predicted this in, in terms of just, I mean, you knew there, there there's always going to be some, some people who are going to blow up. There's always going to be some carnage. But to see yeah. it on this level and to the degree where it wasn't just like, well, somebody blew up and came in 15th or, you know, had to jog it in for 50th. Yeah. Th- these were straight were DNFs. Down. Yeah. Just a... a the absolute top names in the sport is, yeah. is is there any lesson to be drawn from this or is this just a weird confluence well, of factors that kind of led to something like this i mean you know i i was kind of talking to you about this and you know i look at all of these top athletes and they they don't seem to have coaches you know i just yeah that's an I, interesting I really idea kind of wonder like you know you got some of these guys that are super fast they're obviously great runners like jim for example doesn't have a coach goes to utmb drops a hammer blows up, gets helicoptered off the mountain. You know, you would think, and then I look at a guy like Dylan, who is an incredibly talented runner, but has a really good coach mm-hmm. and listens to what this guy says. You know, he he formulates a race plan. He looks at Dylan's strengths and weaknesses, formulates a good race plan and gets the best out of his athlete. And Dylan listens to what he says and, you know, executes a really, really good race. Mm-hmm. Um, so he maximizes his potential in these races. Right. These other guys go there, and there's a big investment in these races. You know, you look at Jim, he's put in a massive amount of training block, could have got injured. Sure. Could have ended his running career running 140 miles a week. You know, sure. we, you never know in this sport when you might get injured um, or, you know, what other things happen in your life. So I, I think you've got to make the best out of these opportunities. When you get to UTMB and you're in great shape, don't go there and, and you know, mess it up. Go there and execute a good race plan because you might not be there next year yeah yeah it's an interesting point and uh, you know i'm not sure exactly how you know that that plays into it it's a definite possibility i, I mean I, I don't i don't know that too many people would argue that there's a benefit to having a coach or or at least having an advisor or somebody just a second pair of eyes to look over what you're doing and kind of you know work through race strategy and that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, I think you've got to leave your ego at home a little bit. You know, I think you've got to like, yeah, you want to hammer out the front. You want every Twitter feed to be blowing up saying, this guy's hammering out the front. He's running like an animal. But the bottom line is you're probably not going to win like that. The the thing that's kind of interesting and and I wonder if, if you know, just trying to make a broad generalization, you know, these guys are all professionals and these these women are all professionals. and And yet we're seeing... We we are seeing carnage in a lot of these races to a degree that I wouldn't necessarily expect from, you know, professional runners, people who've been doing this for years and years and, and who frankly know better. You know, you know, we the say depth that of the carnage is, is <laughs> seriously impressive when I keep looking down this list here. I mean, we say this all the time about we're, we're always we're constantly talking runners on our level on level below us and levels above us of 
the idea of running your own race and running within yourself and not getting caught up in, in what's happening around you. And, and to some degree, that's easy for us to say as people who are not competing for titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people who are necessarily need to respond, at least in some degree, to what other people are doing, lest the competitive race get away from them. But again, this was proven, as it almost always is, that running your own race, quote unquote, and you know, not losing contact with what's going on up front, but not necessarily covering every move or responding or setting the pace early on really plays out more often than not as the successful strategy for a winning, um, for a winning play. The question is, why, why do we keep seeing this happen? Is it just a fact, a factor of the depth of competition being so great that the, that you need this kind of high risk play this high risk strategy in order to have the possibility of success? Is it, is it, you know, because there are so many people who can win and if you're not on your best game that day, it's just not going to happen. So maybe you go, you go to the front and you run hard from the gun or whatever it is, you cover all these moves and you figure, look, if, if I, if I'm on my, my A game, then I have a shot at it. And if I'm not, then it's just not going to happen anyway. So is, is this strategy kind of being forced upon people by the depth and the quality of the competition that we're starting to see just or, or continuing to see increase every year? Yeah. Or I wonder also, is it the influx of kind of like you had alluded to social media, sponsorship, money into the sport that people want to make a name for themselves and that, you know, we, we are attracted to the style of running sometimes. And, you know, there is a, I don't want to say necessarily a financial gain, but at least there's some sort of uh, impetus or some sort of reward for kind of trying valiantly and failing spectacularly, you know, that may make up for, you know, the, the, you know, having, having a poor performance. I wonder if, if the pressure of appeasing sponsors and appeasing fans and like he's kind of alluded to making a, a splash on social media is part of what's driving this as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe with these guys, you know, you need to make the top three because if you come 10th, no one cares. Right. You know, right. so you've got to hammer. Maybe that's you've not go, worth it know. to them as as much as it used to be. Yeah. And, you know, if you do blow up, well, you're up there for a while. You gave it a shot. Hard, hard to say. I mean, you know, we, we run all kinds of risks when we make generalizations like this. And, and again, yeah. it, it's no one thing that forced a lot of these guys and, and women out of the races. But um, it just... The, the again the degree to which it happened was so unexpected and so massive yeah um that i mean it forced us to come down here and do another podcast a week later yeah. you know just just to talk about it and and i just wonder if this is if we're we're going to see more of this at the absolute top of the sport going forward or if this is kind of just a one off thing yeah i i mean i guess this is the worst carnage has ever been at this race right I mean, am I wrong? I mean, as a as somebody's what I've seen over the last fi- few years, certainly at this race, I, I can't I can't recall any race, uh, certainly not at the top level of the sport that had this kind of bloodbath, basically. Yeah, and and like like we said, it, it wasn't just UTMB, it's CCC, uh, similar type thing on on a slightly different scale. You know, yeah. run more or less contemporaneously with UTMB, started earlier in the day and. Uh, but but dealt with some of the same uh, weather conditions and, and trail conditions and that sort of thing. Certainly not quite the 
uh, bloodbath that we saw in the, in the longer event, but still yeah. uh, a lot of folks going down and, you know, not finishing that we did not uh, anticipate. Yeah, it was it was definitely carnage in that, but yeah, on a smaller scale. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and still and and in CCC, uh, many of the favorites did come through for some some very top performances. Uh, Pal Capel, who both of us had identified as yeah. as a pre race favorite, was yeah. uh, a podium finisher on the men's side. Yeah. Uh, Ida Nilsson, who uh, I had liked as my female winner for CCC, was uh, also podium finisher as well, uh, yeah. third place, I believe. A um, little Good bit of disappointment. For, uh, an Englishman, Tom Evans. Yeah, always nice to see the English up there. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, um, our our UTMB predictions kind of shot, shot the bed a little bit, but uh, not not many podcasts out yeah. there gave you Tom Evans as a dark horse uh, leading into CCC. I don't no, think I was, I was pretty happy with that, that one. That was a good call. Um, yeah, I wish I had gone to Ladbrokes that day. Wouldn't have let you in. You're underage. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, and also, I mean, on the women's side, Meow Yao. Winning, I mean, she had an amazing race, eleventh overall, yeah, fifty-seven, pretty, pretty solid performance in that there. kind of field. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's truly amazing. That that's kind of what I I kind of wanted to just talk about, just get some of those thoughts out there because it really was a, an astounding weekend in terms of what went on, and and uh, we'll see again if it if it has any implications moving forward or what it means for the sport or whether or not we can kind of expect to see something like this in the future yeah i mean it was it was totally unexpected i mean just that depth of dnf is just exceptional you know incredible in light of these results and there was a a a period there early on in the day on friday into saturday where it it looked like the american men and women were both going to have banner days and it it turned out to be a real um you know a a real disappointing day day uh for the u.s but in light of that, the performances of the two Americans or the the several Americans in at the top of TDS uh, thrown into really stark relief there, and just uh, you know just accentuating how impressive those performances were. Yeah. Um. You know, with a, a second place finish on both the men's and the women's side, and I think a fourth place finish on the women's side as well. Yeah, and I mean, Debo was right up. I mean, he, he could have won it. You know, I mean, it was uh, was a very very close race. And, um, you know, not to look too far ahead and we'll get into the ultra under the year voting, you know, within the next couple of months. But coming out of this week, uh, Debo, to me, uh, is the favorite on the men's side for sure. It has to be out there. You know, uh, just the consistency and and the performances at top level events uh, through the the first eight months of the year, just uh, unmatched to me, um, at least to my eyes. Anything else for us, Phil? Not really. I think it's a pretty exciting and uh, interesting last week of uh, racing over there in France. So on the horizon, I mean, you know, things do calm down a little bit uh, on in terms of the kind of international scene for a little while. We've still got some sky running stuff going on. Uh, there were some good results at uh, the Rut, the Rut this yeah, past weekend, which yep. we'll get into the next time we reconvene, probably at the end of yeah. September. We've got some races coming out at Wasatch this weekend. Yep. Yep. The McGeon Monster coming out. Yeah, we get back uh, into the domestic scene. Uh, Sky Running Series will start to to, um, wrap itself up as well. So we'll get into that next time. And we'll start looking forward to the big end of the season races, including JFK and uh, North North Face. Face. And um, we'll start talking about some Ultra Run of the Year stuff as well. And uh, before you know it, it's going to be lottery season. Yeah, there's nothing more exciting than lottery season. (laughs) Here's the lottery season. 
Phil, and here's to you this weekend. Good luck at SOS. And I can't wait until you can stop swimming and riding the bike again. We can go running. And we can start running again. And, you know, hopefully by that time I'll be back, uh, back on my feet as well. All right. Good. Everybody out there, thank you once again for joining us. Hopefully you were having as good a time as we did this past weekend following all the action over in Chamonix. Really, the coverage, as we said, really is just fantastic. And I think it... It really shows what this sport can be on a kind of media and a popular level when there's, you know, the impetus behind it that's driving it and, and of course, the money there to provide for that coverage. So thank you to everyone who was involved in the coverage there and bringing us all those images and stories stateside. Thank you guys for joining us once again. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the night sky and the bus and feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there. I was still young. I was still young. And I was still